Hello, I'm Joe Cadwell, host of Grit Northwest. You can find my show on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast directory. Grit Northwest is now part of the Labor Radio Podcast Network, where you can discover other union-specific shows to help you learn more about organized labor movements across the nation and around the world. It's one-stop shopping at its best. Just visit laborradionetwork.org. Once on the main page, click on a logo that interests you and a show description with hyperlinks will magically appear. How easy is that, right? So ditch the TV and grab those earbuds to hear the collective voices of workers from around the globe demanding fair treatment from their workplaces and elected officials. Join us at laborradionetwork.org. And until next time, this is Joe Cadwell reminding you to work safe, work smart, and stay union strong. BCTGM Voices Project, a podcast highlighting the real people who make up our union, the bakery, confectionery, tobacco workers, and grain millers. I'm Michelle Ellis, Director of Digital Media. I will bring the work of our union to you through monthly interviews with the BCTGM's hardworking leaders, organizers, and everyday members. This is the BCTGM Voices Project. On October 5th, nearly 1,400 BCTGM members at cereal plants in Battle Creek, Michigan, Omaha, Nebraska, Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and Memphis, Tennessee went on strike against the Kellogg Company. The lead union negotiator for their contract, East Central Region Vice President Roger Miller, talked with me this past weekend about the complicated sticking points which led an overwhelming 90% of the workers to vote in favor of a strike. An unfair two-tier system of compensation is at the heart of most of their issues, as well as a proposal to remove the union label from all cereal boxes, making it harder for American consumers to make informed decisions that support dignified union labor. Roger is a wealth of information on this dispute. You can help us educate the public in support of the workers by texting or emailing this recording to your friends and family, or simply sharing a link or screenshot on social media and giving us a tag. We are BCTGM on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. With that, here is East Central Region Vice President Roger Miller. Let's go ahead and start with you giving us an overview of some of the concessions that this company is asking for and, and how the negotiations ultimately broke down. Okay, sure, Michelle. So some of the takeaways that the company has proposed are to eliminate premium health care pension for all current and future employees, a holiday pay, vacation time, as well as the union label on their product. Now, how negotiations ultimately broke down, I guess we'd have to start from the beginning a little bit. When we started negotiations with the company the first day, they usually have a presentation on the business. They explain to us 
that Kellogg has lost market share. They're not any longer the number one cereal producer in North America that General Mills had taken that spot. And that the only way that they can see to get back to number one is by taking away from their employees. Well, no takeaway can increase volume or give them market share. So none of that really made sense. And then they proceeded to tell us how they only made $500 million in profit out of cereal. Only $500 million in profit out of cereal. And that we just couldn't be competitive that way. That they had to take away so that they could be more competitive. Well, again, that doesn't make you competitive. It just increases their profit margin off the backs of their workers. So as we progressed through the week, the company started to threaten us. If we would not agree to their takeaways, then they were going to start closing plants, moving product to Mexico, whatever they had to do to get a cheaper, less benefited workforce, they were going to have to do. So by the end of the first week, things got pretty heated the last day. One of my committee members kind of blew up on the company and that basically ended negotiations for the first week. So Monday, the second week, when we came back together, the company immediately tried to pick a fight. Instead of coming in and saying, okay, hey, we got off to a bad foot, right? Let's start over. Let's see if we can get to an agreement. No, they immediately tried to pick a fight with my committee. And it became more and more evident that they would not get off their permanent two-tier proposal. And that was something that my committee could not live with. So as the week progress. It ended up being just, uh, we would meet for a few minutes, tell each other no, we would break. So this was the whole second week. No, no, no from each group, company and union. And then we would break. Well, Wednesday of the second week, the lead negotiator and half of his committee came in to start the morning off. And he informed us that it was a waste of time for them to even meet with us. That, uh, The rest of the committee, which was the plant managers and the vice president that was sitting at the table for the company, they would not be joining us anymore. They had better things to do than to bargain this contract. And then we didn't meet after lunch with the company. Now, the very end came on Friday before lunch. Our committee was out of the room on a break. Secretary Treasurer David Woods and I were in the meeting room. And David was on a conference call, had his laptop popped up and he was working with it while he was talking to the group he was speaking with. And I had to step out of the room for a few minutes. When I came back, David was pretty fired up and I'm like, what's going on? Well, the company had stormed into the room. The lead negotiator took their proposal and slammed it on the table in front of David and said, you've been presented with our proposal. And as he walked out and opened the door, the rest of his committee was there and they were laughing like a bunch of junior high school kids. I've never seen or heard of anything like that in my life. Well, very unprofessional. Yeah, well, to say the least, unprofessional. Yeah. But anyway, so we uh, called the committee back in. We explained to them what happened. So they said, we really don't care to meet with them any longer. So I met with the company. I gave them our 48-hour strike notice, which is required by the contract, and explained to them that what they had done that day had basically ended negotiations and that we were going home. Really central to this contract and and some of the problems that the workers have is this two-tier compensation. There's a transitional issue. Could you just explain that? Because I know it's kind of complicated just to have someone who knows about it go through that. Let me try to explain it because it 
is kind of hard to explain. Back in 2015, actually, the company had informed President Durkee that they intended to close two of their North American cereal plants. And if we didn't agree to take away Zen, they would close them. So we came together as a group, uh, not myself, there were other to bargain the contract. And anyway, we uh, agreed to some of their concessions. Part of the concessions was what is called a transitional employee. The employees that were currently there, they were given the name legacy for just for clarification. So the transitionals were hired at lower wages, 80-20 healthcare plan that they have weekly contributions to, no pension, they did have a 401k match, less holidays, less vacation time. So how they transition though, the reason they're called transitional because it was never meant to be permanent two-tier. So as the legacy employees left the company, however they left, retired, quit, were terminated, et cetera, a transitional employee would move into legacy. So they would get full wages, 100 zero healthcare, pension, same number of holidays, same amount of vacation earned, et cetera. So at least they had a pathway to becoming legacy. Now the company has said that's not enough. The concessions that we gave back then are not enough to keep us competitive and they want more, which is normal. They always want more and more and more, you know, but uh, our members have said that's enough. We're not giving away anything else and especially our future. So by making these two groups permanently two-tiered, what they're saying is, is that the transitionals would no longer be called transitional because they never get to fully benefited. They have proposed an increase in their wages, but they never get to the legacy wages, what's been proposed at the table in the term. So when you have a permanent two-tier group, what that does is just causes friction between the employees. It should cause friction between the employees and management, but it doesn't. It causes friction between the employees because one group is, you know, making $10 more than the other an hour and they got all these great benefits, but we're all doing the same work. And if you do a permanent two-tier, eventually the lower tier becomes the majority. And then two things can happen. One is they can stand up and fight as we're doing today to have the legacy wages and benefits, or they bring the legacy group down to their level. So it deteriorates the legacies group's pay, benefits, and everything. Yeah. At the moment, Roger, what is the percentage of legacy to, to transitional? Today, it's 70-30. There's a 70%, 30% split. So 30% of them are transitional? That's correct. So it's pretty honorable what the majority of the workers are doing for the guys coming up. Now. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, and the company seems to think that the transitional would be okay with just a pay increase, but the transitionals are not okay with that. They want a path to legacy. It seems like then to get that done, this has to happen now. The majority of the people now still know what used to be possible. Right. You know, for them to to be there to explain it to the rest of them, that's really good. And I'm the one who manages all the social media for our organization and The things that they're all posting online, so many legacy workers, it's just, you can't help but be proud of them for for doing this. I want to go into the union label issue because it's a bigger deal than it sounds like. They want to take this off of the cereal boxes. Can you explain that? Yeah, well, there's a couple of things here about that. One is the company has said for the last three years that I've been involved, 
that they want a relationship with the union, both international and locally. So when you talk about taking our union label, which is actually the BCTGM shield yeah. on, every, on every box of union made cereal, you're talking about ending that relationship. That shows clearly that they're not interested in having a good working relationship. The next biggest thing about that is it identifies all the cereal that's made here in the U.S. and that it's union made. I know most union workers like myself, whenever I buy anything, two questions I ask is, is it made in America? Is it union made? Yeah, because they also have threatened to move some of this production down to Mexico. They have. The first week of negotiation, well, actually, let's go back two weeks prior. They announced in Battle Creek that they were going to idle half of their production lines, remove them, lay off 200 people permanently, and move that production to Mexico. Then all during the first week of negotiations, again, they threatened over and over and over. If we didn't agree to their takeaways, they're going to move this product. Mexico to wherever they can, wherever they can get the cheapest labor, no benefits, and the highest profit margin for this company. That's what they intend to do. Are they selling made in Mexico Kellogg products in the U.S. now? They do. Okay. It's hard to identify because you have to know on the date codes. Well, if it doesn't have the Union Shield on it, then you have to know the date code, whether it's Mexican made or uh, produced at a co-manufacturer that the company has some contracts with. Okay. So that was a communication that we posted yesterday. One of the workers, Heather Green, had a great line about how taking the union bug off of the boxes makes it harder for the American consumer to determine whether it's made here or there. And so over time, they can start to say, well, you know, the made in Mexico is selling just as much as the made in America, when really that's kind of been created. No, exactly. You know, a lot of major companies are trying to produce their products as cheaply as they can with labor yeah. and benefits, but they don't have to identify made in Mexico and you have to look at date codes and you have to be educated. You know, that's something that we, we will do eventually with the consumers, just like we did with the Mondelez fight. Yeah. But uh, everything made out of this country, it should be on that product that it's not made in this country. So we as consumers can choose American made. Yeah. And the great thing is, you know, we can kind of gauge the way that people feel about this issue by the things that we're posting online. And that went up yesterday, this information about the union label and the response is overwhelming. You can't let that happen. That is such a source of pride for us. I only buy union made people posting pictures of their union made product in their pantries. So, so it's important to Americans. It's more important than probably you would think it would be. Right. And it, and it goes back to, to a respect thing as well, respect for their workers. This company yeah. does not respect their, their employees. Again, it goes back to the relationship that they say they want, but they demonstrate that they don't on a daily basis. Yeah. Let's talk about what demands must be met before the, you're going to agree to go back to the table, first of all, and in order to get everybody back to work. The first and foremost is that they've got to be able to find a pathway for the transitional to continue to transition. I mean, that's number one. Number no two tier. Right. No more two tier. Uh, we're going to have to have some job security. You know, they told us for two weeks that they intended to close us and move and if we didn't agree to their takeaways. And so job security is a big issue as well. 
that's going to have to be uh, discussed before we can get back to the table. They have to be open to job security. We have some language that repatriates the product that they have in Mexico and that they're shipping to Mexico back into our U.S. plants to uh, give us some security as well. So I think those are the two biggest issues. Let's talk now about the ways that people can support the workers. What are the biggest ways that you have? Okay. Well, I think the number one thing that they could do is just come out to the picket line and walk with us and hear our stories, learn what this fight's truly about and learn who these workers are. If they couldn't get to a line, send a letter of encouragement, you know, get on the Facebook page and say, Hey, we're with you and we support you. Share our stories on their social media sites, whether it's Facebook, Twitter, any way that we can to get our message out to as many people as we can get it out to. Our members are asking that people not buy Kellogg's cereal until the strike is over. They could help by doing that as well. We would take prayer anytime. If some church groups would like to come out to our lines and, you know, have a prayer meeting and walk with us, or if any community group would like to uh, provide a meal for the strikers one day, or if financially, you know, you can donate a little bit of money. Uh, all the groups have GoFundMe pages. Yeah. So those are all ways that, that they could support. Yeah. And we actually have a all-inclusive blog post. I will share a link to that with this recording. It just is basically goes through everything Roger just mentioned. There's a link to every strike fund, the GoFundMe's. There's also a petition that the National AFL-CIO put together. That link is in there. So so I'll share that with this. Outside of that, Roger, I know that you guys, the leadership in this union, you spend a lot of time pumping us up and telling us we're doing a great job. I think that this is a good time to let you know you're doing a great job too. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for everything you're doing to support the workers. That's all I have. Did you want to add anything before I end? Yeah, let me just say, you touched on it earlier, but the fight that our members are in right now uh, is for their future. Uh, we call it selling the unborn baby. Yeah. But that's, but that's not who we are. For the legacy group to fight this fight, for the transitionals and all future members, that is uh, incredible, really. I can't tell you how proud that I am of this group, of uh, what they're doing. Eventually, we will accomplish what we need to accomplish, but I'm proud of this organization for taking on this fight. Yeah. So, I appreciate the time, Michelle. Yeah, awesome. All right. Thank you, Roger. Well, that, that's it, then. That's all we got for today. I appreciate you, too. All right. Bye. If you found this content valuable, please consider sharing it on your own social media pages and be sure to tag us. We are BCTGM on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. For more on the activities of the BCTGM, go to bctgm.org.